Welcome to Every Business Counts, the podcast which shows how money and numbers can support you to build a sustainable business. My name is Lynn Mann and I'm an accountant and a coach with over 20 years experience. In each episode, I will be exploring how money and your business numbers can help amplify the impact you want to make by focusing on purpose and profit. Because every business counts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Business Counts. My name is Lynn Mann and today I have with me Joe Salter. Joe is the founder and CEO of Where Does It Come From, an ethical fashion brand. She's also a consultant, writer and speaker on ethical business and transparent supply chains and co-founder of the Beat the Change Awards. During the pandemic, Joe has collaborated with Cardi London to make organic cotton face masks using native rain-fed cotton from India. If you're interested in buying any masks, then you can go to Joe's website, which is www.wheredoesitcomefrom.co.uk. Lovely to have you here, Joe, and thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Lynn. <laughs> you're welcome. So I'm just going to dive right in and start with the first question. So what inspired you to become involved in founding and consulting and for ethical businesses? Well, it's a very interesting question, and I was trying to think it through. Um, I think it goes back a really long way. I'll try not to waffle on too much <laughs> about my personal history, but um, I think I've always been very inspired by social justice, uh, in particular fair trade. And um, it goes back for me um, to some of the Red Nose Day things, actually. And I've, I've told people this before, but I remember the thing that really touched me was there was an interview with a lady in Africa. And she said, it's only luck, you know, that you were born there and I was born here. And that just really touched me that our, our personal circumstances, where we're born, affects our chances in life hugely. And it's not fair. And without going back and looking at things like slavery and the empire and all of those things, what we can do now is try to pay people a fair wage and have work, good working conditions and help them where we can to help restore some of that balance. So I think that's that's kind of what inspired me. Um, and then uh, I got involved um in campaigning and fair trade, oh, I don't know, many, many years ago. Um, and uh, I worked for a large corporate company, so I was always managing to influence them and try to, um, to, to organize things and leverage that position as much as possible. Uh, and at some point, um, I can't even think when, I got super interested. So I started doing a master's degree in um, human rights uh, law and things like that and um, wow. international development, just because of, for my own personal interest, I mm -hmm. never actually have finished it. I got as far as getting a <laughs> postgraduate diploma and then had children and things and got in the way. But I learned so much and it was it was fantastic to do that um, when I could. So yeah, that's what inspired me. And then um, when I left uh, that company and had my children at the same time I started uh, entrepreneuring as I call it or social entrepreneuring so I set up a um, consulting company helping smaller uh, fair trade businesses because they they didn't really a lot of people have fantastic ideas and then don't have the business background yeah. to um, to turn it into something good uh, and then I started my first um, ethical brand which is called fair by nature which led on to where does it come from which I run now 
Great. And I, I love that going back to what you said, it's ha- having that awareness that that actually what we have and where we are is purely down to the circumstance of our birth. And just because of that doesn't mean to say that we should be use take advantage of people um in other countries, in other parts of um even our own country, for example. And and seeing that it's like it's been like a journey that you've been on that 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 passion has grown and led you to to kind of where you are now. Yes, I mean definitely the transparency thing is mm. uh, a big, big driver for me because I've always been somebody who ask questions and even the name of my brand is a question and it's uh, you know I just how can you not ask the question where do things come from I mean a big thing at the moment is everyone is rushing out um, and buying face masks and they're spending tiny amounts on those horrible sorry I'm very uh, passionate about this the horrible throwaway ones and you see them walking along the street um, all the time and they cost nothing and then there's videos on the internet you only need to google of little children sitting on the floor making those things but if you're paying small amounts of money that is what you're going to get and if we want to have if we want to have peace of mind which I think most people do I I think people shut it out of their mind but if you think about it and you want to have peace of mind then you need to know that things are being made the way that you would want them to be and if you have children and you think about other people's children making these things it's just not right it's just not right there's no way of getting away from it and um i i agree with you there because i remember watching um a video i can't remember um where it was but it was basically about the the clothes we throw away and it was a similar thing they were in india and people were children were sitting there removing buttons and it's interesting if we think about it we wouldn't expect our own children to be to be necessarily doing that and yes these children are, are earning a living but but actually by helping them get an education first then they will be able to to do so much so much more yes it's a cycle it's a cycle if you don't yeah. if they don't get educated then they're not going to be able to get a, a reasonable living when they're older so it's just a, a vicious cycle keeping them impoverished so it's just it's just not acceptable so fair trade is a wonderful movement I'm right behind it and it's also in in a way it's a it's an education piece um within the say even with, within the UK um because it is that creating that awareness of actually where do things come from and which is a great name because it does make make you stop and think actually if i've bought something where's it come from and particularly with with fashion and that whole um kind of disposable element of it when you actually stop to think well what's happening to to this when i've used it where did it come from originally it's it's not just that you get it and and use it and no, it's, it's a it's whole, whole long yeah. life cycle, isn't it? I mean, fast fashion, we could probably talk for two hours about fast <laughs> fashion, so I won't. But um, fast fashion, the whole principle, I mean, it's only been around for sort of 30, 40 years, this idea of disposable fashion. Mm. And if anyone doesn't realise it, the companies who run these brands like Boohoo, etc., they are multimillionaires, okay? They are making a lot of money out of this. And most customers are only paying a few pounds for their items so if you think about it 
at all, buying a, a dress or a top or something from one of those fast fashion brands, as you say, the whole life cycle of it, where are the raw materials coming from? They're going to be rubbish. Sorry about that. They're going to be rubbish, aren't they? They're going to be mm. polyester or they're going to be really mass farmed, low quality cotton covered in pesticides and um, sucking up things like the Aral Sea. And then you're going to have people picking, processing, um, dyeing, printing and sewing those garments. So all of those people have to be paid along the line and then they have to be shipped to the UK because we don't grow any cotton in the UK. Mm. So they're most likely to be farmed and processed in Asia. Um, that we Sometimes the fabric comes in and then they're made in the UK. But as we've seen on the news recently um, with all the factories in Leicester, we know that people are being paid, I think it was down to £2.50 an hour for making those, which is totally illegal and against the, the, um, the Human Slavery Act. So that's really bad. And then you think about what we're paying as the end price well, how much of that money is going to those people that are working on it? And there's taxes as well and, yeah. and up, you know, keeping the upkeep of the brand and everything. And yet these people are multimillionaires. So you can imagine how little people are going to be paid if they're yeah. paid at all. Yeah, it, it is. And, it, and I think it's, it's one of those interesting factors because I think people think when they are, you know, they want to, to start say an ethical brand or they want to be doing something they always think it's going to to cost them a lot more but also you know I think it's thinking about um in the in the long run there are definite benefits and people are starting to to actually appreciate more ethical brands now and ethical brands will actually um have a premium on top of them so I think it's kind of looking at, for me, it's actually what's important to you and how do you want to treat people and and the planet. Um, so from that, then looking at really what's the importance of running a business based on sound ethics? I think um, if you're looking at it from the customer's point of view, just as you just said, I think it's got to be peace of mind. Mm. I think for a customer that if you can get to know a brand and they can share with you the stories, as in the, the actual record of the people who are making their clothes and how they're doing it, so it's materials, processes as well, then that gives their customers peace of mind. But it has to be a good product because nobody is going to spend money on something that they don't want, and nor should they, nor should they. So you have to find a balance between um, matching up what people want with that ethics as well and you can't there's no point in selling like for example i don't know a shirt there's no point in selling a shirt that's um 500 pounds people do brands do because they have a, yeah. a brand following um but in general if someone's coming to you for the first time they're not going to be spending that kind of money on something like that so you have to find a balance and there also has to be things to do with usability as well so again looking at things like dyes a lot of the natural dyes, I would love to use 100% natural dyes or no dyes, um, mm. but to make a dye hold for a long time, um, you sometimes have to add other things into it. And there has to be a balance because people don't want something that they wear it twice and the dye washes out. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's, there is a balance there. But in terms of importance, um, I think it's in the bigger picture, it's, it's hugely important to the world, isn't it? That mm. uh, if we've, we've got a climate emergency going on, uh, we've got 
we've talked about injustice already, but to the world that we live in, it's hugely important that I, I, I don't even think that it should be called ethical business. It should just be business. It should business. be business as usual. Totally. And, yeah. And I, I think, I, I, I mean, the government um, in the UK does not wish to put any kinds of um, restraints on businesses from making money, you know, which well, we, won't go, we won't go into politics. But, um, for example, the, the, the UK government ran a... Um, uh, exploration over 2018-2019 run by Mary Craig and on looking at fast fashion and the impacts of fast fashion on the workforce and the environment and that was run by the um, Environmental Audit Committee and that came up with a number of recommendations including the famous penny tax that you put on things so that um, they can be disposed of safely for the environment but the government did not approve one of those recommendations everything all the time and everything was um, didn't go forward they're trying to start it up again which is great news that is good and even just going back to what you said um, it's going back to even what what you're doing to start with it's about understanding the different parts of your business and the costs along the way. So you can't, what you were highlighting was there's no point in creating a product that nobody's going to buy because you need the income to be coming in. So it's understanding what's in that. But by understanding actually as well, your your cost base, it gives almost you then the peace of mind knowing that what you're doing is is ethically right and that you can do it in a way that is sustainable for your business. It's sustainable for the planet and for the people in the rest of the supply chain. And I think that's a, a hugely important thing for any business to be aware of. And as you say, that should be business as usual. And I think we're starting to move that way. It's just going to probably take longer than either, either of us probably would want. <laughs> yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of economic challenges, isn't there? Mm. I mean, you've and, and and we haven't got a lay, level playing field either, just like in the rest of the world. So there's brands that are doing amazing things, um, like Patagonia, for example. Yeah. They, they've done great work um, and they've managed to keep true to their beliefs. But there's in terms of big brands, there's lots of big especially in fashion brands like H&M and people like that who do a little bit of ethical stuff on the side but still have their huge factories and and all of that but I can understand that I'm not condoning it but I understand it because you've got to be economically viable because if you don't exist then you can't do the good things that you want to do Um, but I do what, what someone said this to me a long time ago and it's really made sense to me a lot of the smaller businesses like ours will go under they will because small businesses I hope we don't obviously but um, a lot of small businesses will go under um, but that isn't it's bad for those that particular business but if that business has made a change happen so for me it's transparency by printing a code on the label of everything we produce there is now a customer expectation that of transparency amongst our customer base. And I already seen other customers do this. And Lucy, who works with me, says, they're copying our idea or whatever. I said, no, no, it's, it's although it's, you know, you think, oh, at the same time, it's great because it means we have made a difference. People have seen yeah. the code going on things and now it's becoming quite normal. And we've got a lot more people having access to, to QR codes on their phone and there's blockchain technology, et cetera. So even if the business goes under, a business goes under if they have made a driving change 
then they it hasn't been in vain. That's what I'm trying to say. So you need these kind of innovative small players going out there doing amazing things because the big players will have to do it because of the customer expectation. Yeah, and that that's a, a really brilliant point to make in that actually the whole um, essence of what you're doing is actually about making an impact, not just making an impact in terms of um, the way you're particularly doing business and the products you're producing, but actually making an impact in the way that um, customers see the products and that the information they get and therefore potentially a much bigger impact within the whole fashion industry as that becomes more of a, a norm and people want to to see it. Yes, and we say our beneficiaries, there's three beneficiaries from where does it come from? One is the planet because everything mm -hmm. we do is around making positive um, impacts on the planet. One is the makers and the farmers, and we try to make their lives better, teach them skills, um, give them a decent livelihood. But our third beneficiary is our customers, because we really want them to be inspired to change their shopping habits or you know, shop less has got to be one thing, which would seem strange coming from us. But it's it's we want people to, in general, buy a lot less and when they do choose things, try and choose things that have a positive impact. So we're trying to inspire customers through our garment stories and our products. And I can really see that already because I know when we first started um, back in 2013, um, customers was coming to me saying, oh, the printing's not quite right on this. I remember a lady sent me back a scarf and said, she didn't send it back. She sent me an email saying, something wrong with this scarf. The elephants haven't quite lined up on the printing. It's faulty. And I said, well, did you realize that this is actually done by hand? And a person has a wooden block with the outline of an elephant and goes and prints the outlines and then goes on by hand and prints all the inners. You know, that's how it actually happens. And she didn't um, come back to me again after that, because once wow. you have the understanding that it's a person going along doing it, it's not a machine. It's not a fault. It's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's about perspective. Yeah, yeah totally. And it, it is. And I think that's the thing is that you're talking about stories. And actually, with any any business, it's stories that people connect to. And the more we can tell the stories, you know, if you, you look at any business, the, the whole way they create their the branding is through through the stories we tell. But having those real personal stories that actually customers can relate to makes the the whole product seems so much more more real and accessible than it's just a, a shirt or it's just a scarf. You know, it's actually there's a story behind this. It's, yes, yeah. which is great. I think I think it's a it's about emotional connection, isn't mm. it? And we all do that. So I um, don't know if you've done it, Lynn, but when you go to your wardrobe and you pick out a dress and you think, oh, I wore that on that really happy occasion, yeah. <laughs> and and then you love that dress more, don't you? Or if someone's yeah. told you you look nice in something, even yes. that is an emotional connection. So uh, the way I say to people is. We start the stories from the cotton growing in the field and then yeah. we can tell you all about things going through its life and the people who span it and wove it and printed it and dyed it by hand and everything. And then once you've got it, you make your own stories. And that's why the beautiful thing with secondhand, what would be lovely, and I've been talking to people about, could we then have people sharing the stories of their clothes with the next person to wow. say, I wore this to this wedding, but maybe it doesn't fit me anymore, but you would look amazing in this. And it's had a wonderful life already. And that, that whole emotional connection and, and knowledge goes along with the garment. Yeah, 
that's a really interesting concept because then it actually when you're saying that it, it almost adds an element of I know you say it's the emotional connection but there's something else added to the the garment again it's not just a garment it is it's going to be the way you look at it you treat it yourself and you know where it came from and I guess you know that's why if we we look at um pieces of clothing or jewelry that have been worn by famous people and auctioned off get such a price because it's that story that connection this exactly the same principle definitely and in a negative way that's how big brands that um, sell things designer things at a high price that's how they do it because they aim for an audience that value the label yeah so they think maybe they've got some kind of um I don't know, self-confidence issues. I will be better if I'm wearing that label. I will be a better person. So they, they also manipulate that yeah. connection thing there too. So yeah, I think it, it, all marketing is based on propaganda. Totally, totally, yeah. So so going back to, we've talked quite a bit about kind of the big brands and things um, and also about how important it is to have that transparent supply chain which not everybody really has or and not the customers not seeing so what are some of the issues with actually not having a transparent supply chain this is one I could go on about for hours but <laughs> again I won't um it really does depend because uh most supply chains the majority of supply chains are opaque and um there are good reasons for this in some cases it's because the brand themselves doesn't know yeah. and um, transparency is a huge issue if anybody's interested in finding out more about it there's something um, called the transparency index that fashion revolution produce each year and they rate companies on their transparency not whether they're they're doing good work but their transparency but the argument is which I totally agree with you can't make improvements if you don't know what's going on so you have to be open and honest. So it's very, you know, it's a big one. Again, going back to the issues in Leicester um, only about last month, when it came out that these factories were making um, these clothes, and this has been known for years. This is not new news to anybody. Really? Two years ago, yeah, um, there's an organisation um, called Labour Behind the Label, and they uncovered this two years ago, and it was in the press and everything, but it didn't get picked up. It got picked up this time because of the coronavirus issues that people were going into work knowing that they had coronavirus with the bosses knowing that they had coronavirus. And that's why it hit the news. But the actual issue of slave labour and um, the, the working conditions was known about before that. And that's in the UK, so it obviously it causes a big hoo-ha. This is just happens all all, all the time in Asian countries, you know, in Bangladesh and places like that. So um, it, it tends to be with non-transparent supply chains, you don't know where things are coming for, from, which can mean, doesn't necessarily mean, but can mean that there are abuses there. There are mm -hmm. abuses of people and abuses of um, the planet. So you might be mass producing cotton uh, or you might be using um, polyester, but not doing it in a good way um, you could be uh, paying slave wages you could be having people in unsafe factories think back to 2013 when the um, Rana Plaza factory yeah. collapsed killing 1200 odd people um, that that's the kind of things that can be happening but if you're looking at it from a customer's point of view as well you can get really shoddy goods you know you can be paying um, a fairly low price but you get something that doesn't last very long or it's 
the, the picture, what it looks like in the photographs isn't what you actually get and all of those kind of things. So, so there's, there's so many issues. I would say it tends to be around human rights abuses, abuses to the planet and very low quality. And I think what's important to recognise that this isn't just um, about fashion. It's exactly the same within within the food industry. Um, so I know um, back in, I can't remember when it was, but late 2000s, that um, Unilever was highlighted as using unsustainable palm oil. And it actually motivated them to to change. And this was before Paul, Paul Polman um, was CEO. But it's it really did motivate them to make a change and it's having as you say it's having that awareness because if you're aware of the impact of your supply chain you can actually um you can influence it more you can make decisions actually I don't want people to be treated like that therefore what does that mean how much do I have to increase the price we're prepared to pay for that service and what's the knock-on impact all the way through? As you say, if it's opaque, you don't know what's going on. At the end of the day, the risk is on your brand when something blows up. That's so true. That's really true. I think, um, I mean, the food the food industry has a huge, um, what do I call it? Uh, it goes, it's very parallel to mm. clothing, probably slightly ahead in terms of awareness of things, although, that again, that might be changing with some of the trade deals that are being looked at but in general if you think about organic food um, people have become much more aware of farmers markets and um, supporting brands and I always say if you grow your own food you always think it tastes better if you know where it comes from and maybe it does taste better you know uh, maybe it does but I think the main issue is because you know and you have peace of mind of where that came from then you are much more comfortable with what you're eating, what you're putting in your body and in your family's body. And the skin is the biggest organ. It's the same. Yeah. You're putting things on your skin. It's the same. Totally. Yeah. So, so you, you, it's thinking about things in just just selfishly in terms of our own benefit. There's a huge benefit to knowing where things come from and, and what's in them. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's great. I, I think I also would say that most people that I've ever met are decent people. People have reasons why they have to buy cheap. You know. Yeah economic reasons of course they do but most people are decent most people working for companies want to do the right thing um, but we are pressured by economic um, considerations and uh, it's always this drive to put things as cheap as possible which I don't think helps anybody in the long run it really doesn't um, and the and the marketing campaigns that are pushing people to buy new all the time they don't help anybody they're purely about making money for the few people to be really really rich so I think that those are a big issues to think about absolutely and I you know in terms of that actually one of the things I love with Patagonia is that they have these um they actually teach people how to repair their clothing it's not about teach actually wanting you to buy something new it's like okay come bring it here we'll show you how to repair it or we'll repair it and it's it's changing the concept they're not scared of losing the business and I think that going back to what you were saying on the economics it's about looking at the short term which has driven a lot of um, business decisions previously to actually how do you change it to be looking at the long term and what's the the influence there definitely I mean it's building brand loyalty for um, brands like Patagonia and us as well and other brands we want our customers to love us 
yeah. and keep cups. So if you're, if you're I, for me, if I'm buying a school bag for one of my sons, I go to Patagonia. I don't think anything, I don't look anywhere else. I don't compare on price. I go to Patagonia because I've done it in the past. They've lasted for years. They're really good. Um, and I love the ethics behind it. So that's kind of what I want people, and I think people do do, is they say, I need a shirt, organic cotton, where does it come from? And that's what that's what we all of us are hoping for. And people like Marks and Spencer's achieve it. You know, in the past, you think, Margaret Thatcher, I remember saying, well, where else would you buy your underwear? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you want. People not even to question. I need this. I'm going there. That's, yeah. what, you, that's what you want. And by doing by attracting people who want to mend and want to buy ethically and sustainable and have that peace of mind, then that's what um, that's what we're trying to get that customer loyalty. Yeah. Which is 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 a great way to, to look at it, because you know that 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 customer loyalty will be beneficial to you as a business in the long run and then it also becomes the word of mouth um, yes. and people recommend you so it ha- it kind of helps things grow organically as well yeah yeah very important it's really important that great um so how can businesses actually ensure that their supply chain is ethical and traceable um, when I talk with businesses about this, when I'm consulting or presenting, I would tend to say that the first thing is to look at what your company values are. Start at the, the, the beginning. So people have things that are important to them. If you're a sole owner or if you're, you're a board of um, directors, you need to define what those, the things are that are most important to you as a brand. Um, and we have a wonderful tool now called the um, the SDGs, yeah. the Sustainable Development Goals, which help you do that really well. So just pick the three or four that are the most important to you as a brand. And you will find that you will meet the others anyway, because they by starting along that journey, you will um, you automatically do it. So that's that's a good thing to do first. Get your values sorted out. And then that, that values needs those values need to put, go down through the whole organization so that you know um, that other people know that you believe what it is that you're trying to do. So then you, you need to then step through every single part of your supply chain and wider. I would say things like where you host your website, you know, what your packaging looks like, leaflets that you print, um, where the, your communications, all of that. You want the whole message to go through the business. It probably can't happen all in one go, but that's got to be the, the plan to get there. But the most important thing is obviously with product creation that you're going right back to the beginning. Because one thing I'm, I hear a lot from people is we make ours in the UK. And I say, OK, great. But where did the materials come from? Mm. Um, where did that fabric grow or where did that polyester get made, got made and, and all those kind of things so you need to go right back to, to the beginning back to the start and map that out and sometimes that can be challenging because if you've been making products for a long time you you don't always know and you don't always have those relationships and sometimes producers don't want to tell you you know and I don't think audits are always enough because orders audits can be um eased <laughs> is that the right word I, I've spoken with auditors who've told me things that like they'll get to a factory and they'll say what's behind that door and they'll say we're not telling you and they can't they can't do anything about that you know yeah. so because they have a checklist so nothing beats going there I don't think going there yourself getting to know the people having the relationships with um, your producers I mean we're, we're a fairly small brand but you know I've, I've been able so far to have relationships with all of our um, producers and have conversations with them and you you work with like-minded people um, the other thing is you you need to look at what your important 
um, goals are in terms of bottom line. So if you're looking at a purely economic bottom line or if you're looking at measurements of impact in other ways, uh, the triple bottom line being a key one that people talk about. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's about research. It's about being honest and open and authentic and doing the work, putting the work in and then sharing the stories. And I can help if anyone needs help. Great. Well, that is, that's good. And if people do need help, then they should just reach out to you um, via your website. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, or just email me, joe at where does it come from? Co.uk. Brilliant. Um, but just going back to that, you know, it's what I love is, is actually it's being clear on the values and I guess on your purpose right at the start um, and the impact you want to be making, but making sure um so this isn't what you're saying is this isn't just an exercise for your product for your supply chain this is actually it's about embodying it within the organization as a whole and making sure that everybody within the organization is actually living and breathing the purpose the the values the impact and they know how they are contributing towards it yes and when you have that then it makes decisions making decisions easier because you'll know what you're making decisions in line with and therefore um as well going with that almost what you're an open-mindedness and kind of that sense of exploration and curiosity well where's this taking us where did where's it go and making sure you get right to the end but also what I really liked was what you're talking about with the relationships. It, it, it is about creating relationships. It's not about dealing with a faceless person and it's all about what's written on a piece of paper. Mm. It's about having those relationships and an understanding what's important to those other people as well yes. so that you are dealing with the people you want to work with. Yes, and, and more than that, you understand any issues that they may have because um, for, so for example, a, a big thing at the moment that I'm, I'm talking to people about a lot about at the moment is payment terms. Yeah. So um, most businesses, when they buy something, well, firstly, they'll, if they're buying a lot of a product, um, they will buy, I don't know, thousands and thousands of a particular product and then they will almost auction it. So they'll say to people, who can give me the lowest, who can do this at the lowest cost? So you're immediately getting different organizations pitching against each other to have the lowest lowest cost and of course that then has a knock-on effect on materials and their workers and probably the more their workers because there will be a very detailed specification that they'll have have to meet so so that's one big problem there Um, and then they say well we're not going to pay you from till 60 days after you've delivered it right so of course they've had to, to pay out the money for the wages and the materials and the brand doesn't pay for after 60 days. Now that had a real knock-on effect during COVID lockdown because a lot of these big brands didn't pay. They said, yes. we can't sell it and we're not paying. And that that work, that the, the things that had already been delivered in the many cases just sat in warehouses, but the workers didn't get paid. So of course they're starving. They haven't got any money. So I think payment terms is a really big issue that needs to be sorted out. And uh, I, I'm trying to, I'm working on that at the moment. Um, so that's one of the one of the knock-on effects. Um, the other thing, of course, is um, 
what was I going to say? <laughs> God, <laughs> like, I got lost on my train of thought there. So payment terms. The other thing is the understanding. So, for example, we were working with a big software company last year um, on a project to make handwoven scarves. And we had a lot of conversations that they'd be ringing me up saying, where are they? Where are they? What, where, are, where are they on the thing? And I said, well, they're here. This is what's happening. This is this is where we are. And I said, but they've, there's been a problem because um, somebody's the foreman's been sick or there's been heavy rain or something like that. And I say, what difference does that make? I say, heavy rain in India means you can't dye things because the humidity in the air and that kind of thing. So there's understanding some of those those kind of issues, which I think in the past, I go, we don't want to know any of that. I said, well, no, I think it's important that you know. You know, I think it's important that you know what's going on. If the foreman is ill, then... It's, it's not like you suddenly wheel another 20 people into the workshop when you have an artisan workshop because they're skilled people. So, yeah, I think it, it's about overturning attitudes around. I think there's a particular case in point. This company said to me, well, if you don't get it here by this date, we still want it and we're not going to pay you anything. And I just said, well, if that's the way you want to work, but that means that these people will, will not have any pay and they won't have any materials. And um, my business will probably go under. You know, is that what you want on your conscience? I know that's the way you're used to working, mm. but it's got to change. That can't be how it is. You know, yeah. I'm not making excuses for being late, and we weren't late. But I think it's, you know, it's about that the understanding of how things work, so that you're not wielding a big stick and shaking it at people all the time. It's really what going, what it goes back to. It's about. Um, people working together about collaboration and um, about creating a situation that's a win-win situation rather than somebody trying to win and somebody else trying ends up losing out. Yes, yeah. Um, and I think the, the whole, it's an inter- interesting, what you described there was almost like it's people using threats and wielding power, which doesn't actually help the whole situation it's not if if there's heavy rains in india and you can't um dye fabrics that's not going to change whether they're saying you've got to do this so actually what you're saying there again it's going back to relationships and being able to manage those relationships and help people understand what's really happening yes i think so and it's interesting what you say about the power thing as well i think We've also been trained, again, I think it's by media and marketing, about the getting one over on people. And it's mm. almost like when you get a bargain in a shop, yay, I got a bargain. I got one over on that brand because they gave me that thing at a cheaper price. Like, Lucky me, I got this thing, you know, wahoo. But actually what you're doing there by getting by Black Friday sales and things like that, there there is a knock-on effect with all of this, you know. And if somebody's selling something off cheap, it's because they've got a reason to. Either they're yeah. in trouble or they ordered too many of it or, you know, there's, there's a reason. Yeah. But there is still knock on effects with everything. But we've been trained to, to just think about ourselves and just think about that, that how we feel about getting one over. And I think it's the same. It's also this negotiation. Negotiation is, is we've been trained to believe it's about getting one over on someone else, getting the best deal from someone yeah. else. But there's still going to be that knock on effect, whether you like it or not. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's it's understanding that actually you have to be able to work with people so in in your supply chain, if you put them out of business, then what happens? You know, if you keep putting people out of business, then there's 
going to be a knock-on effect to your business as a result of your actions. And I think that's something that often gets forgotten about. Yes. Um, but actually, I love what you were talking about because it, it's um, it's really about our, our own beliefs and the stories we've been brought up with and the experiences that we've had that have taught us these. And it leads on perfectly to, to the last question. <laughs> um, Coming. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so what experiences have you had or stories you've learned as a child influenced how you look at money? Oh, that's a really difficult one, isn't it? Um, I, I, um, I was brought up, my mum's a very strong Catholic, Irish Catholic, and I was brought up a Catholic. Um, I would say that I'm probably not a Catholic now, but I, um, it's a difficult one. Someone says once a Catholic, always a Catholic. But I think there's a, there's very much a, the justice thing I think comes from there uh, and the generosity thing. But there's all, there's also, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. You, it's frugality as well. So I have a balance between um, uh, a sort of being brought up about being generous and kind and then a frugality side as well. So it was a balanced one um, in my childhood. So we didn't have very much um, in terms of, you know, we weren't on the breadline or, or anything, but we didn't, you thought very much about what you spent, you know, and um, we were encouraged to get part-time jobs as soon as we could. Um, I was working in Woolworths at 15, you know, and um, and it's great. That I, I'm grateful for it hugely, uh, all of that. So I think, I, I think also um, we didn't really value the whole fashion. And I don't mean fashion for clothes. I mean, you didn't buy something in my household because it was the latest thing. You bought yeah. something because you needed it and it was useful and, um, you know, and something that you, you valued, I suppose. So there wasn't really that that side of things. And I, it's, it's very difficult to say. So I think it's all about it was a, definitely a balance between you don't spend money that you don't have would be yeah. a, a key one. So not, not into the old credit cards and all of that um, and and valuing things from from what you have. I would say what I didn't have as a child that I do have now is a value for the stories behind things. I don't really remember much of that so much. Um, but uh, for example, have you watched The Repair Shop on TV? Um, I've seen it once. It's something my mum loves watching. I love it. As well. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I'm with your mum on that. So the idea that people bring in a really old item mm. and it gets uh, done up to the way it was, though, not made brand new looking, but made up. But they, they tell the story of it. And one thing one thing that does come um, from experience of my upbringing, but not it's not a um, the story itself is a bit later. But when I was a child in my bedroom, there was a carpet which I loved. It was red and it had patterns on. And um, it turned out that it was given to my mum by her aunt, who was a maid in a house. So she was a housemaid. And at some point they were throwing away this carpet. So they gave it to her. It was pretty worn out in places. And um, what mum did was give it to me in my bedroom. And then when I'd left home, I went home one day and my mum's an avid gardener. This carpet was lying on the garden. And I said, <laughs> what's it doing on the garden? And she said, it keeps the weeds down. So I said, well, I want that carpet. And she said, oh, I was going, going in the skip. I said, no, no, I want that carpet. So I took it from her. She gave it to me and laughed her head off. And I paid a lot of money. And I can't tell you how much money I paid because she has always tried to get out of me how much money I paid to get this carpet renovated. <laughs> and I got it renovated. And I took it to the carpet shop. And I took her with me. And um, they said, oh, this is a, a Turkish carpet. It's about 150 years old. And um, 
And she's like, yeah, but it's horrible. And I said, no, it's lovely. And the guy in the shop was actually saying the same thing. It's a beautiful carpet. It's an antique. It's, you know, it's, it's absolutely lovely. And she, she couldn't see it. But I really value that carpet. And knowing its story that it was Turkish and 100 years old and that my aunt was a house, or my great aunt was in a housemaid and was given this, it's made it even more special for me. But my mum can't see that at all. <laughs> No, that's I, that's a great story to tell. But it's also it's interesting because it reflects back. There's a couple of things. One is the the frugality of reusing something, having something repaired, but also the um, the quality and the importance of quality of something, as well as as bringing the story. In. And I think, Lou, if you look at um, your products and what it's about, it is about bringing something with a story something that is is made well made and well taken care of throughout its process and I just love how your own personal experiences almost weave into that um, experience almost with your your business so thank you for sharing that no pleasure pleasure hope my mum doesn't hear that (laughs) well thank you ever so much for for coming and speaking to me today joe so if anybody wants to check out your website they can do so at www.wheredoesitcomefrom.co.uk and you can buy the um, organic cotton face masks there as well so thank you thank you lynn Thanks for listening to this episode of Every Business Counts. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to our Facebook group, Every Business Counts, and share what you've enjoyed and your highlights. I look forward to sharing more with you next week. Bye for now.